The Standard Deviations podcast is a weekly production that looks at money, mind, and meaning, all through a psychological lens. Each week, psychologist and New York Times bestselling author Dr. Daniel Crosby interviews a fascinating new guest, experts in everything from finance to literature to wellness. Support for Standard Deviations comes from the Guardian Network. You know the old saying, a penny saved is a penny earned? How many pennies would you earn if you skipped your next venti iced mocha half-calf latte or that burger that needed five napkins? Over a lifetime, they add up. Like putting a kid through college add up. Find out where your priorities lie by playing the cash stash dash at livingconfidently.com slash play. Hello and welcome to the Standard Deviations podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Crosby, and I'm joined today by Andrea Schaefer with Pacific Advisors in Claremont, California. Her practice focuses on individual and business planning, and she has special knowledge of charitable and investment planning, tax offset strategies, executive tax issues, executive benefits, and business succession. She serves clients all over the country. Andrea is a longtime member of the National Association of Women Business Owners and was inducted into their prestigious Hall of Fame in 2005. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thank you so much, Dr. Crosby. Okay, so that is quite an impressive bio, but I always like to start off my shows by giving listeners a glimpse into the you outside of the bio. So is there something fun or informational about you that you'd like people to know that doesn't show up on the more formal bio? Uh, uh, Absolutely. Um, In my early 20s, I was a professional chef uh, here in Los Angeles, and I've actually cooked dinner for 150 people with Francis Ford Coppola. Oh my gosh. Wait, so you, you, cooked, you cooked with Francis Ford Coppola or he was one of the guests? No, no, he, we cooked together. Um, I also have some Italian heritage in my background and we cooked dinner at a restaurant where I was a catering chef and pastry chef together. And because of that specialized knowledge that one acquires by growing up in an environment, I was very helpful to Mr. Coppola in getting that dinner out because it's it's a big job to cook a meal for 150 people and get it out in a, uh, a timely manner, right? Timely manner, timely manner. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. So The Godfather is one of my uh one of my favorite movies of all time and then actually his daughter is is an incredible director as well. She directed Lost in Translation, which is actually my favorite movie of all time. So the Coppolas have have given me a lot of great stuff to watch and I'm you, you are the all-time winner of this question. <laughs> well, and and the and the Coppola wine had just been released, so it was the beginning of a great another great uh, heritage that they that family has brought to us. Oh man, what a what a story! Um, now, what's what's your specialty? What do you what do you, I assume you're still a, a gifted cook? So, what's your cooking specialty? Well, I I am uh, formally trained as a pastry chef, so I do really have a lot of fun in the kitchen with uh, both formal and informal dessert making. Uh, one of my more favorite uh, things to cook is a French dish called marjolaine, uh, 
Uh, it's cake with buttercream and hazelnuts. So that can't be bad, right? Oh, that sounds um, good. And, and we're, we're, of course, we, we would be talking right at noon here, you know, noon my time. And so I'm, of course, now starving and we'll go, uh, go, ruin, go ruin my morning at the gym as soon as we're done here. So uh, you are here today to right a great wrong uh, because I have something embarrassing to admit. Uh, and the embarrassing admission that I'm going to make is that I have been seeing the phrase opportunity zone everywhere. It's been all over the news. It's been over Twitter and the financial world has been a buzz about opportunity zones. But I have to admit, I know nothing about them. I've just begun to scratch the surface of looking into them. So you are here today to educate the listeners on opportunity zones. Can you just begin by telling us what they are and why they were created? Certainly. Um, the Opportunity Zone uh, portion of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 was really created to encourage private long-term investment in low-income communities. Um, Treasury designated 8,762 separate census tracts that would be eligible for Opportunity Zone fund uh, investors. Uh, the ability to really redeploy capital from the private sector into these areas by not only creating new real estate development, but new jobs, new enterprises in these areas to create economic growth in these areas is the purpose of Opportunity Zone designation and fund creation. So there sort of set up to revitalize areas that may need a little love, right? That's sort of my my basic under my very basic understanding of this. Is that is that ballpark? Absolutely. They were patterned after enterprise zones, which were very successful in helping to re-energize areas, say around our nation's capital in Washington, DC and throughout the country. These particular zones are created to encourage not only a large institutional investment for large projects that can be applied to individual entrepreneur endeavors as well. And in fact, can frequently encourage the backbone of, of this country's investment who are the small business owners to go into areas that would otherwise be unlooked at for investment purposes. Now, so when I, I have joked, and I'm, I'm only partially joking, that I want to someday make a podcast of the conversations I have before a podcast starts, because I find that both when I'm hosting folks and when I'm on other podcasts, that's where some of the real uh, juicy stuff happens. But before we uh, hit record today, you were talking about your passion and your enthusiasm for this, you know, just how excited you are about Opportunity Zones. What's the, what's the thing that really gets you excited about this opportunity? I think what really excites me is the potential for this uh, sector, section of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act to really re-energize the country and give incentivization to private businesses, both from an institutional level as well as individual entrepreneurs, to create really great jobs 
in areas that need job training and to be a economic growth principle for many more people in the country. Now, I want to talk about some of the the specifics here because it is it is very exciting. But I know whenever uh, when when we think about different investment vehicles, whether it be a a four hundred one k or a Roth IRA or what have you, you know, sometimes there's people who qualify and those who don't, and there might be limits to how much you can invest. So, so who qualifies for this? Thinking about the the people, right? Who qualifies for this, and, and who might it be right or even wrong for? Absolutely. So anyone, anyone that has short or long-term capital gains has access to this type of investment, whether through uh, funds that are organized by institutional uh, investment homes or individually as individual entrepreneurs. It is... Its best application is for people who have long-term investment horizons, 10 years plus, as most of these investments are going to be relatively illiquid, and some will produce ongoing income uh, during the 10-year period, and some will be much more capital appreciation focused. So anyone that has capital gains whether they're very small amounts. Um, I've seen funds with investment uh, levels as low as $10,000, all the way up to multi-million dollars of um, investment fund structures and and individual entrepreneurs who are either uh, beginning new businesses or expanding existing businesses into opportunity zones would be ideal candidates for these types of locations for their new businesses. Great. So assuming you don't have short to maybe even medium term liquidity needs, this is a a good thing for you to at least begin to consider. Absolutely. Opportunity zones are a bonus to an already good uh, business investment offer. So while most people are focusing on the immediate tax benefits of opportunity zones, where I think the real benefit to the individual and to the country at large lies is in the long-term application of having investors in these zones really reap the largest benefit by holding on to these enterprises and making them grow for at least 10 years. That's where the benefit will lie for most people. Now, can, continuing in this kind of practical vein, um, can I only invest in my state or, or, or are all of these opportunities open to me or do, do we need to kind of incl- invest close to home? So what's really wonderful about this, in uh, 2017, when these opportunity zones were designated by Treasury, there are 8,762 zones throughout all 50 states. So you can invest nationally. Um, These funds are, they could be literally be in your backyard or they could be across country. So there are maps that are available that I'll talk about later that you can investigate exact street addresses to locate where these areas are. 
Wow. Now, is is there any way to bundle these opportunities into a sort of a diversified fund structure, or are you always investing in an individual opportunity? Absolutely. So um, many of the opportunity zone funds that you'll find out in the market are, in fact, bundled separate projects. Um, there are projects that are large redevelopments, uh, major hotel change, um, significant businesses that are already established. And then there are uh, smaller uh, endeavors by individual entrepreneurs that are also being offered. And I would also like to really stress that if you yourself are an entrepreneur, this would be an ideal thing to investigate with your advisors about how you are locating and expanding your current business opportunities. Ah, so more, more than one way to, to slice this if you're an entrepreneur then potentially. That's, that's fascinating. Absolutely. So I would be uh, I would be no kind of behavioral finance expert if I didn't if I didn't speak to to the risks involved. You know, I'm always a big advocate. Um, I think upside gets all the all the headlines, but we also always need to think about uh, any potential risks involved. So how do you think about the risks involved with opportunity zone investing? So I would say that the same risks that you would have in any type of uh, illiquid, at this point, more often private placement investment exists in the opportunity zone world as in any other private placement. The difference being that there are so many incentives for uh, layering of tax advantage within these opportunity zones. It's not merely the advantage of the deferral of capital gains tax or elimination of tax on appreciation of the investment over time, but the underlying business models need to be reviewed and examined and vetted for their worthiness and real ability to succeed in an open market. Is, is this, this vetting process that you want to uh, go through to protect against potential risks, is this the kind of thing that the average person is going to be able to take on themselves or who's, who's best suited to help uh, vet these opportunities on investments, do you think? So I think in, and I would say this is true, Dr. Crosby, for any type of uh, investment that is so focused in in a geographical area or in a particular industry, you're going to want your team of what I would call allied advisors. You're going to want your accountant and ideally an attorney um, and ideally your financial advisor to come together. Those people from whom you have uh, sought and received really great fiduciary level investment advice. Those are the team of people you'd want to help you assess the risks for the overall investment in an opportunity zone and how it fits in an overall diversified portfolio. 
Yeah, fin- fantastic advice. So you you touched a moment ago on the tax efficiencies, which, as I understand it, are a big a big part of what makes uh, opportunity zone investing potentially attractive. Can you can you speak to you talked about some different layers? Can you speak to the layers of tax benefits that that one that might accrue to an investor in an opportunity zone? Certainly. The the first and foremost, it's a simple way to think of this. You're deferring capital gains, decreasing the amount of tax you'll pay on capital gains, and ultimately, after a long-term hold, the 10-year period, eliminating capital gains on any capital appreciation of your original investment. So it's very important to understand that by encouraging people to Rediversify their portfolio um, by in, by intentionally incurring capital gains, whether that's the sale of real estate or an investment portfolio or the liquidation of a business, right? The sale of a of an enterprise. You can use those capital gains to reinvest and rediversify into opportunity zone funds, and you can take your basis back off the table and put it into other investments that, again, rediversify. The encouragement of that really helps to people to perhaps with the most last 10 years now going on 11 years of huge market increases, it helps people take some of those gains off the table without fearing the taxation on the capital gains and allows them to better diversify their holdings. So deferral, decrease, and eliminate. Deferral, decrease, and eliminate. Boom, boom. One, two, three. Deferral, decrease, and eliminate. So, uh, you know, one of of my areas of emphasis and areas of study is the ways that people make irrational decisions with their money, of course. And one of the things that I, I find that people overlook most regularly is what I'll call tax alpha. It's just simply not as, uh, as as glamorous as other as other investment considerations. People are always excited about upside, uh, but but never quite as cognizant or careful about tax alpha. So this sounds like a, a, a really powerful consideration uh, when when considering whether opportunity zones are, are right for you or not. Those those three things. So, uh, Andrea, I am a, a big enthusiast of, of socially responsible investing. I've had a number of, of ESG and uh, values-based experts on the show to, to talk about socially responsible investing. And one topic of interest right now in the, in, in the values-based investing community is this idea of impact washing which uh, for, for those who are unfamiliar with the term, is sort of the appearance of doing good in the world uh, without making real impact. So opportunity zones are set up ostensibly to do, to do good in the world, but is there a way to determine which, which investments might have real impact versus those who are, are impact washing, so to speak? I, you know, I think what's wonderful about these Opportunity Zone funds, Dr. Crosby, is that they are, they are allowing really unprecedented access to the developers of the fund and the prospectuses on each of the business plans that are being put together. So you, you do have the opportunity very frequently to have direct conversations 
with the people who have put the funds together, which for the average retail investor is unprecedented. I would also say that because there is a huge incentive for individual entrepreneurs to relocate or or begin new businesses in opportunity zones, you will also find that many of uh, the smaller opportunities, meaning more individual business owners who are looking to create a new business or even redevelop real estate, are also available for one-to-one conversations. And I would suggest that you not only take advantage of that individually, but also bring that team of allied advisors to bear with you in those conversations because they will help you assess the business viability and are they actually creating new job opportunities, right? Are they, are they actually creating viable new businesses that create good paying uh, employment with job training and growth for the community? I will mention that there are businesses that do not qualify in opportunity zones. And I think it's really important because it lends itself to the idea of which businesses are people looking to attract into opportunity zones. The types of businesses that do not qualify are private or commercial golf courses, country clubs, massage parlors, hot tub facilities, suntan facilities, racetracks, facilities used for gambling, or any store whose principal business is the sale of alcoholic beverages for consumption off-premises. So those are actually defined uh, in, in the IRS code that as businesses that are not typically helpful in promoting the overall well-being of a community at large. So it's really important that they're looking for real businesses that can produce really great positions that then revitalize the community and allow those uh, employees to, to really contribute back to the community with their purchasing power as well. So, so it sounds like just by, by mandate, the government has already stripped out some of the potential negative ESG implications of this. You won't be investing in in a liquor store or a tanning parlor. So it's got to really provide some impact. But I like, I like the point that you made too, that the social impact should be part of the vetting process. I mean, there are a lot of people, this is a somewhat controversial idea, but some people see uh, ESG as another risk factor, you know, with the, the assumption being that businesses that are doing good in the world are, are likely to thrive over time. And so if a business is doing, you know, the absence of good, that's a, that's a form of risk. So I think it makes sense it, as you're assembling your team to, to diligence these opportunities to let uh, the, the social opportunity be, be part of the calculus. I think that's a, that's a wise piece that you included there. Thank you. I I believe wholeheartedly uh, this is only a small sector of the work that I particularly focus on, which is making sure that while we are doing well, we are doing good. And and it's actually a self-fulfilling type of investing 
Because when we allow people to have greater economic power and we create sufficiency for them, lifetime sufficiency, we can also in turn create uh, better opportunities for peace, right? We, we as, a, as a group, when we are able to feel sufficient, we are much more willing to also be generous. Well, you know, one of the points that I like to make is what, whether or not, the leave, leaving aside, you know, your opinions on, on how directly investments like this impact the, the things they're supposed to impact, I think there are behavioral benefits to investing in a way that's consistent with your conscience as well, because research has shown that it's easier for you to stick with and take the ride on an investment uh, that that is personally valuable, personally meaningful to you versus uh, one that you're sort of indifferent about or one that may be meaningless to you. So I think there are layers to this thing where, you know, you're doing good in the world, uh, you're supporting places that need your support, you're creating jobs. And a byproduct of that is that because it's meaningful to you, you're you're likely to stay the course, you're likely to to endure uh, to the end there and, and do the right things behaviorally. So I think there are layers to this benefit. So Andrea, one of the things that, that I think, uh, that I know is the truth when someone like me with, with limited knowledge about a, a topic talks to someone like you with a, a great deal of knowledge about a topic is I may not even know the questions to ask. So is there anything that I've, that I've left out or that you would like to touch on about opportunity zones that you think warrants mentioning to our listeners? I, I think the most important thing to consider is that the, the underlying business has to be a sound business. And, and I, in much agreement, Dr. Crosby, with it's one that you have to personally support. Because of the long-term nature of these opportunity zone tax benefits, it is important that you are committed and it fits within your overall portfolio and your own personal liquidity needs. So it is very important that for the, for the success of not only your own investing, but for the Opportunity Zone Fund itself, that those who invest in these types of investments do have a long-term horizon and are committed to the process and building that fund and letting the fund stay in place for their 10-year horizon at least. Perfect. So one of the things that I like to do on the show, some of these concepts can can live kind of out in the ether. If someone is listening to this, they're, they're a bit of a novice like me, but the, you've, you've piqued their interest and they want to know more about perhaps taking a first step in, in the direction of, of Opportunity Zone investing. What's sort of a concrete first step or a starting place for someone who finds themselves in that camp? So I, I think there are many um, portals through the web that you can certainly look at. But one of the best that I've found is by a nonprofit organization, the Economic Innovation Group. And it, the web there is eig.org forward slash opportunity zones. Um, it is a wonderful site that will give you updates on 
what is happening with any revisions or updates from Treasury on how the tax benefits will work. It also provides access to interactive maps to locate where these opportunity zones are. And frankly, looking for advisors who are abreast of this topic of opportunity zones is going to be key. So if your own advisors do not have uh, depth of knowledge in this area, it's a good idea to seek out advisors who do so that you can gather more information. I would differentiate between um, organizers of funds who can absolutely give you great information, but will of course be uh, decidedly biased in favor of their particular funds. It's a great place to gather research, but I would suggest you look for nonprofit organizations that um, will give you the the unbiased, un uh, uh, pointed information about how the funds work, as opposed to which individual funds would be best for your particular situation. Certainly, any any psychologist worth worth their salt would tell you that incentives are one of the primary drivers of behavior. So look for someone who's incentivized for, to to manage your money in a way that's consistent with your values and and not to to pad their own pocket. That's I think sound advice. And so uh, you know, Andrea, we we began uh, we began with a, a bit of a personal question. We're going to bookend our conversation with a with a personal question uh, before I seek out in search of a. Italian pastries that you got me got me craving. <laughs> um, what what is a what is a book or idea that that has had a huge influence in your life? Well, so in general, I I have always uh, leaned myself to freedom of choice, freedom of choice, and exercise of that freedom. Uh, I. Read, I've read a book uh, called Nudge by Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein, um, and it focuses on libertarian paternalism. And the concept really is that, and I'm quoting here from the book, that we're looking for people to have self-conscious efforts by institutions in the private sector and also by government to help people's choices uh, in directions that will improve their lives, but improve their lives in a way that those choices will be better off as judged by themselves. So it's very important, I think, that we and I'm that we really encourage people to have critical thinking, choice, and to the framework of how those choices are provided can help encourage them without mandating them to make choices that improve their lives overall. It, it seems very consistent with your focus on opportunity zones in general. Uh, opportunity zones seem like a nudge, right? A nudge. You, you don't have to do this, but we're going to provide some incentives. We're going to architect this uh, from a decision architecture standpoint we're going to architect this in such a way that you might want to check out uh, and invest in places that you might not have otherwise come to your awareness. So the thing, the thing that I love about this idea of libertarian paternalism is I would, I would tell you, I'm a free choice, free markets uh, guy myself. 
And yet what you learn in nudge is that no matter how you architect something, no matter how you position a choice, there are psychological consequences to it. So reading a book like Nudge can help you become aware of your own behavior, um, make you aware of how the options that are presented to you may drive that un- your own behavior. Uh, and it's, it's a book that I would, I would heartily second your recommendation. One of the best behavioral economics primers out there for sure. Well, I found it very, very inspirational in having us understand that we are all framing our thoughts, our actions, every moment of every day. And to make that a conscious choice is always best. Yes. They, he, he, got the, he got a Nobel Prize for a reason. It's a very, very sharp book. Um, so Andrea, you've been a wonderful guest and thank you for enlightening me and our listeners about Opportunity Zones. I am going to grab a cannoli, go to eig.org over lunch and, and further my education. If people want to learn more about you, where can they find you uh, online or elsewhere? Certainly. Well, I am. I do have a profile on LinkedIn, but you can also find my uh, information and contact at pacificadvisors.com forward slash Andrea underscore Schaefer, pacificadvisors.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a blast. Thank you so much, Dr. Crosby. All opinions expressed by Dr. Daniel Crosby and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, and its affiliates, subsidiaries, employees, and agents. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information participants consider reliable and Dr. Crosby and Guardian are not responsible for the consequences of any decisions or actions taken because of the information provided. Guardian trademark and the Guardian G trademark logo are registered service marks and are used with express permission. All materials are subject to United States copyright laws. Copyright 2018 Guardian. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not issue, sell, or advise with regard to opportunity zones. Any and all references to Opportunity Zones or Opportunity Fund Investing does not describe any particular type of investment, but rather a strategy which may have tax benefits. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax or accounting advice. Andrea Schaefer is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ 333 North Indian Hill Boulevard, Claremont, California, 91711-909-399-1100. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, copyright Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Pacific Advisors LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Pacific Advisors LLC is not a registered investment advisor. 
California Insurance License Number 0B67165-2021-1. Expiration 04 slash 23.